Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, I have one of our frequent guests, or I should say two of our frequent guests are back. Captains Chris and Elise Caldwell will be joining us today. And our topic is talking about what you need to do to prepare a freshwater boat for the saltwater sections of the loop. And that's coming from a member question that I thought was a great topic. And uh, Chris and Elise jumped in and said they'd be happy to cover that for us. Before we introduce them, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral-level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. We hope that all of our listeners will support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Chris Caldwell, thank you for joining us again on Great Loop Radio. Thank you, thank you. And today we've got another interesting subject. We're talking about cooling systems on engines, engines that propel your boat and generators that provide electricity to your boat. We are. And is Elise going to be uh, speaking as well, or, or we just have the pleasure of you today? Um, might be just the pleasure of me. She might come out in a couple of minutes. She's having to take care of some things inside on the Internet. Okay. That is just fine. Let's go ahead and get started, Chris. Um, I kind of interrupted you to ask about Elise, so why don't you go ahead where you were, were headed when I interrupted. Okay. Well, everybody knows that the Great Loop is a great loop or a great circle around North America, including parts of Canada, the Great Lakes, Chicago, the river system down the Mississippi River, the Ohio, the Tennessee, Tom Bigby, back out into Mobile. And if you haven't caught on yet, a lot of that is fresh water. And then in Mobile, you go into the Gulf of Mexico, salt water. Then you go around to Florida, hopefully the Florida Keys, hopefully the Bahamas, back up the Atlantic coast to New York City, and then up the Hudson River, Clue, you're back into freshwater again. So we will talk about what type of boats are better or best for you to look at when purchasing a looper qualified boat. And the key thing is the cooling system of the boats themselves. Towards the end of this discussion, we will also talk about the fable of why a freshwater boat is a better purchase than possibly a saltwater boat, and we'll explain the thought process on that as well. But let's talk about the engines. The engines in your car, truck, or tractor all have radiators, and that means to radiate heat away through the air. And the engine itself has antifreeze in it, people our age call it antifreeze. The new word is called coolant. So you've got antifreeze or coolant in the engine. It recirculates and it displaces the heat through the radiator. And then the cooler antifreeze goes back into the engine in your tractor, your car, or your truck. So let's take that concept of cooling and let's move over to a water environment. And we need to keep in mind that there's two types of water in our world, in the Great Loop world, and that's fresh water, the Great Lakes and the rivers, and then there's salt water, 
in the Gulf of Mexico and in the Atlantic Ocean. Of course, everybody knows that salt water is more corrosive than fresh water, so this is where we'll start. Of the engines that you may use on your boat for the Great Loop, there will be two types of engines, sport engines or inboard engines. Even if you've got a bigger 40 or 50-foot boat with inboard engines, we still need to talk about the outboard engines, especially if you have a dinghy, because you'll have an outboard on the dinghy. So anybody with an outboard, let's say you've got a ski boat, a T-top, or a bass boat, or even a dinghy with a 3-horsepower or 9.9-horsepower, those outboard motors are raw water-cooled meaning there's no antifreeze, there's no coolant, there's no radiator cap. That's the clue, a radiator cap. So if you've got an outboard motor sitting in the water and you start it, the foot or the leg, which is the part that sticks down under the water where the propeller is connected, there's a raw water pump. Raw water means it's not treated. So it's ocean water, Gulf of Mexico water, river water, raw water. And that water pump will pump water up into the engine and run it through the block of the engine, next door to the pistons and the crankshaft and everything. And that water will take the heat away from the combustion cycle of the pistons. And then most of the water is exhausted through your through hub exhaust, which is that big port in the middle of your propeller, but you'll also have a stream or a tattletail squirting out the side of the motor to prove to you that there's water going through the entire cooling circuit and it's spitting out the side. So as an operator, as long as you see that stream spitting out the side, you know that you have water flow. Bigger outboard motors, so let's say you've got a 20-foot T-top or a cabin cruiser with a 24-foot ca- cutty cabin. The bigger outboard motors, like the 150, 200, 225 horsepower, will be fully instrumented with water temperature gauges, oil pressure gauges, RPMs, tachometers. So just like your car, you'll have full instrumentation But on your dinghy motor, which is a very basic motor, there's no instruments. So you have to eyeball that stream to confirm that you've got water flow. Now, all of you inland navigators from Middle America and the Great Lakes, if you look at outboard motors for the past 20 years or so, you'll see something called saltwater addition. So that's where the outboard motor manufacturer is bragging that they've taken extra steps in the manufacture of the engine to make it salt water resistant. And I said resistant, not proof. So if you've got an outboard motor and you're running it in salt water, you should get a flush or a flushette or earmuffs to run fresh water through the outboard motor when you're finished using it to flush out all of the old salt water that can corrode if it's left inside the engine itself. And that way you flush it out and then you have fresh water in it and it's better. So let's take that concept 
and let's move to an inboard engine that you've got inside your 30-foot, 35, 40, 50-foot boat. You can have two type of inboard engines. Of course, we're talking about gasoline or diesel, but we're also talking about two types of cooling systems. And this is important when you're boat shopping. If you're buying a boat that was built by the factory, the engine was built by the factory to be sold through a dealership in Chicago or St. Louis or land between the lakes in the Kentucky River system, Kentucky State, it might have a raw water cooling system, which makes it a cheaper price or a more affordable boat, especially if you're buying a boat with twin engines, because their target market is fresh water, and you're running raw water through the engine, through the block, through the exhaust manifolds, to cool everything, and then that is spit out the back of the boat through the exhaust hoses or the exhaust pipes. So just like an outboard motor, you'll have that tattletale stream coming out the side of the outboard. With the inboard boat, you'll have water flowing out of the muffler system, and that is the way to exhaust the water and also a way to cool the exhaust pipes. So how do you know? If you're shopping for a boat and it has heat exchangers with antifreeze or if it's raw water cooled, the easiest thing to do, of course, is ask the question, is this boat heat exchanged? And if the broker kind of sort of doesn't answer you, it probably is not. Or if you're looking at photographs of the engine room, look for a radiator cap somewhere on the engine. The way that this works is very much like the radiator in the front of your car. So instead of having air blowing through the radiator in the front of your car, we now have raw water flowing through a heat exchanger, or think of it as a water-cooled radiator. So the raw water, be it fresh water in the river system or salt water in the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic, that salt water never goes inside of your engine block. So that is by far the best cooling system of a marine engine, but it adds more money to the price of the boat when it's brand new and maybe will command a higher price for the boat on the used market. So... The best thing to do, if possible, if affordable, if available, is to look at a heat-exchanged cooling system on your engine. Chris, let me ask you a question about that. Um, as a, a, a novice when it comes to the engine, and uh, trying to learn as much as I can about this too, um, if you do find your perfect boat for the Great Loop, and it um, is raw water-cooled, is it still possible to use that for the Great Loop? Is there a way to convert it so that it is not being raw water cooled when you're in the salt water? Tell us what to do in that scenario. There's a lot of big what-if questions, very mm -hmm. big gray area. If you're okay. buying a used boat, that means it's already used. That means it's got some years on it. It might have some hours on it. 
So all of your exhaust manifolds were those hot exhaust gases from the pistons exit to the engine. Mm -hmm. Those exhaust gases are over 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So that exhaust manifold has to be cooled with water. And depending upon the age of the engine and the exhaust manifold, you might have rust and scale on the inside of the manifold that you cannot see visually. So when you're shopping for a boat and getting a survey and a sea trial, working with your broker, pay close attention to those exhaust manifolds and see if they need to be replaced. If they pass the survey and if you're doing the loop continuously, chances are you'll be okay for the entire, uh, I hate to say, 6,000 miles or the one-year trip. But if you're going to park your boat and put it away for storage, you would definitely want to flush out your cooling system on the engine if it's a raw water-cooled engine. A product that we don't sell, but you can buy it at the boat store called Salt Away. Salt Away is a chemical. It's a little expensive. It's about $60 per gallon. And then, of course, you mix it in a diluted mixture, and you run that through your engine to dissolve any salt deposits inside the engine, and it will come out the exhaust pipe as a blue foam. So when you see the blue foam exiting the exhaust pipe, that means that the salt away has done its job and dissolved the salt inside the engine block and inside the exhaust manifolds. So let's say that you've got to leave your boat in Fort Myers, Florida, or Stewart, Florida, or Jacksonville, or Charleston, and go home for a month or so. I would recommend that you buy this chemical, Salt Away, and flush out your engines to clean out any of the salt deposits on the inside of the cooling system. Okay, so a raw water cooling system isn't a deal breaker on a loop boat. You just need to make sure you're taking those extra precautions. Right. There's extra maintenance involved in a raw water cooled engine. That's correct. It's not a deal breaker at all. It's just one or two extra steps that you have to do to maintain the health of the cooling system on the engine. Okay. Uh, Let's continue. What else do we need to know? Well, uh, let's summarize this. So let's talk about why it's important to know before you buy the boat. And let's say that you're looking at two identical boats. And I'm just going to pick out a car, like a Chevrolet. So you've got a Chevrolet here and a Chevrolet there. One is raw water cooled. One is heat exchanger cooled. And they're about the same price. Well, you may want to lean towards the heat exchanger cooled boat for about the same price. If the price difference is extremely different, then you may want to go with the raw water cooled boat and then just buy this chemical, Salt Away, and there's other off, um, I don't want to say off brands, but there's other brands that make a similar solution to do the Salt Away cleansing. The value of the boat is the heat exchanger boat would have more value to purchase it and more value upon resale. So those are some things to consider. Okay. Are we ready for a break, Chris? Yeah, we'll take a break right now. 
All right. We're going to take a quick break, as Chris and I both just said, and play a message from one of our sponsors. Um, when we come back, we're going to continue the discussion with Chris, and we'll focus a little bit more on some of the sacrificial anodes and um, address that question. Freshwater is a greater value for the boat, fact or fiction. We'll be back in a minute for Chris to answer that for us. Good morning, loopers. Many of you are probably already cruising in southeastern waters, and that is where the Salty Southeast Cruisers Net focuses all of its efforts to help you enjoy your time on the water. So as you prepare for the next leg of your journey and as your resource for accurate, timely, and useful information, we want to invite you to use and add your knowledge to the wealth of information that's available through the Cruisers Net in its directories for marinas, bridges, and anchorages as well as the latest fuel prices in your area. Our mission of Cruisers Helping Cruisers, may we invite you to help those following in your wake by sharing with us your cruising experiences. Thank you. Have a great day. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Captain Chris Caldwell of Captain Chris Yacht Services, and we are talking about precautions for your boat in salt water, and um, the, the topic overall is, um, how to deal with the saltwater portions of the loop, particularly if you are a freshwater boater and aren't sure how to handle that nasty salt when it gets on your boat. So, Chris, let's pick up where we left off. Um, I think the next topic you wanted to, to touch on is the sacrificial anodes. Is that correct? Yes, it is. So the first part of this broadcast, we talked about raw water-cooled engines or freshwater-cooled engines. Pardon me. Raw water-cooled or heat-exchanged engines. The other thing that we need to speak of are anodes. And all of you saltwater boaters know the word zincs. Freshwater boaters might hear the word magnesium or aluminum. Let me explain the differences. Everybody knows that under your boat you've got a stainless steel propeller shaft made of an inconel or a monel, a higher, better quality stainless steel. And you probably have a bronze propeller. So the bronze propeller is softer metal than the stainless steel shaft. And in salt water, you have a faster electrolysis, a more aggressive electrical current, natural occurring, that will eat the softer bronze propeller. It'll just chew it up like rust will to steel. To protect your bronze propeller, you want to introduce a sacrificial anode. And in the salt water, we all just use the slang zinc. It is a zinc metal, a zinc alloy metal. And zinc is softer than bronze. It's sacrificial because it will be consumed by these stray electrical currents called electrolysis. And when they're consumed, we remove them and put new ones in place. In fresh water, you would probably be using magnesium or aluminum. The reason I bring this up under the boat is you also have the cooling systems inside of your engine where the raw water goes, either in a raw water cooled engine or a raw water heat exchanged engine. The heat exchangers are made of a cupra nickel alloy or think of it as a, a copper-like material, and they're welded with lead solder. So you will also have to have pencil zincs, kind of looks like your pinky finger, and they are screwed into these heat exchangers, 
and their purpose is to protect the copper material and the lead zinc or the lead solder from decaying through electrolysis. So buying a boat in the Great Lakes, your engine might have aluminum or magnesium pencil zincs, and when you go into the salt water, when you check them for being used up or consumed, you may want to change them with zinc material. And then when your boat goes back into fresh water again, you may want to change them back to either aluminum or magnesium. So it's important to keep that in mind, not only under the boat, but inside of the engines as well. Uh, another topic people want to know is, are freshwater boats a better value than saltwater boats? And their argument is there's no rust and corrosion on a freshwater boat. That's not necessarily the case because we've worked with a lot of people that have bought freshwater boats and had seacocks that were jammed and broke off in their hands or they've had electrolysis because owners neglected to keep up with preventive maintenance. So I'm going to say that the better boats are better maintained by the owner or the seller. So if you're looking at a southern boat, of course they should keep it waxed. If you're looking at a northern boat, you can assume that they take it out of the water for winterization. They may shrink wrap it or they may put it in a climate-controlled warehouse. The key thing there is they're getting it out of the sunlight. So boats that have been winterized generally appear better or they look better. They look cleaner, more shiny. And if you want to think of a comparison, think of a garage-kept automobile compared to one that sits outside the street its entire life. So I don't think that a freshwater boat is necessarily any better than a saltwater boat. It just depends upon the maintenance that the seller has kept up with the sun, with the wax, with cleaning it, and with doing maintenance on the zincs, the sacrificial anodes, the magnesium, or the aluminum anodes. So those are some things to think about. When you're looking online at the photos of boats, look at them and see what they look like in the pictures. And this is a really tricky question, but ask your broker, when was that photograph taken? And sometimes you might find that the photograph is two or three or four years old. And before you buy your plane ticket and you fly up there, it might be a different looking boat than you saw on the Internet. So you need to take a, a little due diligence right there. I guess in closing, if you're going to maintain your boat and keep it clean, some people like to keep their boats in sheds. And the Tennessee River system and up in Jacksonville, Florida, there are sheds where you can keep your boat out of the sun. And that truly is an advantage. But you may have a disadvantage of spiders. And spider drops are very acidic so you'll have to keep the boat hosed off once or twice per week, depending upon how many spiders that you have. If you've got a winterized boat that's shrink-wrapped, make sure that there's air vents in the shrink wrap so that you don't have any mold or mildew build up on the boat itself. You want to keep the snow off of the boat, 
but you want it to breathe so that it won't mildew. Washing and waxing is extremely important to keep your fiberglass luster, to keep it looking young. And stainless steel, handrails, stanchions, uh, rollers on your anchor pulpit, things like that, should be cleaned with a stainless steel cleaner. And then they should be preserved with something like All Care, A-W-L. If you've ever heard of All Grip Paint, All Care is a product that they make that will protect stainless steel after it's clean. And you can use other products called Never Dull, which is kind of an oily film. It's an oily wax. That will help too. So I guess in closing... We just need to keep in mind maintenance is paramount to own the boat and to sell the boat and then, of course, makes it a more valuable purchase for you to buy the boat. Chris, thank you for those extra maintenance tips. Those are uh, great information for boaters to have out there, whether they're doing the Great Loop or not, Um, some basics for taking good care of your boat. Um, Chris, and Elise, um, Captain Chris Yacht Services are sponsors of AGLCA, and we just want to mention that you do have Introduction to Boat Systems, which is a two-day seminar coming up in Vero Beach on September 15th and 16th, as well as October 27th and 28th. Um, just real quick, since we're almost out of time, tell us a little bit about what Introduction to Boat Systems is. Okay. We like to believe the same way that our parents did. Before they gave you the keys to the family car, They wanted you to learn how to change flat tire and to jumpstart the car. We teach an introduction to boat systems class pretty much on that concept, not to make you a diesel mechanic, but to make you aware of the simple items that you as a boat owner can maintain and can swap parts. Bilge pump, float switch, a sump pump for your shower, change the dirty oil or change the dirty fuel filter on your diesel engine, change the rubber raw water impeller on your cooling system, look at things like shaft seals and decide if you can do that or if you need to hire it out, if it needs to be repaired today or if it can wait a week or a month. So we just want to alert you to all of the different systems aboard the boat that you as an owner should be able to observe and manage and then hopefully repair it yourself or have the parts on board where when you hire a service technician, you already have the right part in your hand that he can just install. So that's what those two classes are about. So uh, for our listeners who are interested in learning more about those classes, I assume, Chris, they can go to your website for that? Yes, and we have another class called Cruising 101, which is more basics like Um, navigating, charting, trip planning, whistle signals, knot tying, secrets in the galley, and more things that are, let's say, above deck instead of below deck. Perfect. So for more information about any of those seminars from Captain Chris Yacht Services, you can go to their website, which is captainchrisyachtservices.com. Very easy. Um, Chris, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your time and you sharing your information as always. Okay, good luck, and if anybody's got questions, please post it on the forum, and we'll be glad to answer it. Great. Thank you, Chris, and thank you to all of our listeners for joining us again today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Thank you, Kim. Bye-bye.